Mark chapter 13, verse number 28, the Bible says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that its summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed... Watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. I wonder, Christian, if by some way we as a church have dozed off to sleep on the responsibility that God has given us, not only for worldwide evangelism. You see, it's so easy to host missionaries and tell them to go do their job. But I wonder if we're not dozing on our job at home. Heavenly Father, thank You for this opportunity I have to stand to preach to these wonderful people. I pray, Lord, that You would give me liberty. I pray that You would give me the Holy Spirit that I might be able to Uh, Speak to these people so that it might be clear and and understandable. Ultimately, Lord, though, I pray that You'd use Your Holy Spirit to speak to them. Lord, I pray all this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You see, this is a pretty uh, uh, hard passage for the disciples of our Lord to understand. Early in the chapter of uh, Mark chapter number 13, we find Jesus... Uh, walking with a group of people, and one of his disciples was so excited about maybe the the state of of the culture. Maybe he was excited about religion and and just the overwhelming majority of man. Look at these church buildings, Jesus. That's kind of what he says. Look in verse number one. He says, "Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Man, this must impress you, Jesus." Can you imagine, though, think with me, he was asking the Lord if man's work of building something impressed him. Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I flew over it the other day. I had the opportunity to fly right over top of it. That thing is gorgeous. It's huge. It's beautiful. Then not too far from that was the Sierras. Uh, One man told me right at this moment, there's over 200 feet of snow on the Sierra Mountains. And it looked at man, it looked like the best 
powdered donut you've ever seen in your life. I got very hungry after seeing those mountains. It was pretty amazing. But this disciple, so zealous, so excited about maybe the state or, or the financial progress of culture. I really don't know what his thought process was. But he says, Lord, what a beautiful building. I'm so glad tonight that church does not rely on a building for anything more than just comfort. Could not imagine being this church in China, having to move town to town, place to place. But I'll tell you this, aren't you glad that it doesn't take a specific pulpit or a specific altar to hear from God? I'm glad for that. And this man looks at Jesus and says, oh Jesus, aren't you impressed? Look at verse number 2. And Jesus answering said unto him, seest these great buildings? Look at them. He says, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He says, guys, if these buildings impress you, you've got your eyes on the wrong things. Yesterday I was driving by some of the biggest churches I've ever seen, just giant churches, and I'm thinking, man, how can a church that big not preach Jesus true? Uh, buildings don't mean success. Amen. Numbers don't mean success. They had success in Jesus' day, if that's the case. And Jesus says, guys, guys, look, these buildings will go away. Verse number 3, And as He sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, there's Andrew, I like him. He's not often mentioned with those three guys, but I like old Andrew. He's a pretty good fellow, if you ask me. They asked Him privately, Tell us when shall these things be? I mean, we want to know what's going on, Jesus, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Verse number 5, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, well, I'll tell you what, if I turn on Fox News or CNN, I get troubled. But according to Scripture, that isn't to trouble me because Jesus says, For such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Now he speaks quite a bit about what's to take place in the last days. But then we fast forward to verse number 28, our scripture tonight, our passage. And he says, let me teach you guys something using one of the most common elements that you guys see on a day-to-day -day basis. Now learn a parable from the fig tree. You may not understand the end of desolations uh, you may not understand what was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And how many of you would say you don't understand what was spoken of the prophet Daniel? I would put myself in that category. I skipped out of Dan and Rev and just took Rev. Amen. I don't want to do that. But Revelation, Daniel, man, some of those things are hard to understand. And I have to put myself in that category. Some things are difficult to understand. Now, that does not mean it's impossible to understand. But, but, but here Jesus says, guys, I know what I'm talking about. It's a little over your head. I know this doesn't all make sense right now, so verse 28, he kind of dumbs it down, and I know for me that helps a lot. 
And he says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. So what's this parable? When her branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the door. You see, I, I don't know what you think about this, but I'm going to make a statement here. I believe Jesus is at the doors. You ever heard that old saying, it's not over till the fat lady sings? I'll tell you what, she's warming up. And I know for a fact, based upon the signs of the Bible, and the truth of the Bible, and the signs of the times, we cannot be far removed from Jesus coming back. And Jesus says, learn a parable of the fig tree, guys. When it starts looking like it, it's probably summer. And based upon this lesson, He says three commands for serving God in the last times. Oh, I have to assume, based upon all the things we just read, well, the last times are getting close. And He gives us three commands. I want to share them with you quickly. Number one, you ready? Number one, simple stuff, wake. Verse number 35, the Bible says, Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Verse number 36, don't miss this. Lest coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. Now what I find unique is that in verse 35, there are four times mentioned. You see, he mentions even, or as you would probably correctly interpret that, evening. He mentions midnight. He mentions the cock crowing. And he mentions the morning. Now, I did a little study on all four of these times. And that is the first watch of the night, the second watch of the night, the third watch of the night, and the fourth watch of the night. Even would be the close of the day, around 6 p.m. or so. And the first watch would generally be about 6 to 9. Second watch would be somewhere between 9 to 12, midnight. Third watch of the cock crowing would be about midnight to 3 a.m. And 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. would be the morning. And this is what the, wor- the, the words that Jesus uses. It's this time period, about 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Now, how many of you in this room this evening would raise your hand and say, Brother Andrew, I have no trouble waking up in the morning? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. You're crazy. Amen. How many of you, like me, are right with the Lord and say, I am so thankful for God's glorious gift of His Son, salvation, and sleep? Amen. Would you? Amen. Anybody with me? Okay, good. You see, I... I am not a person who can wake up early, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can stay up a long time. Some of my hobbies require me to stay up a long time. You see, bow fishing is only good at night. So I'll I'll go bow fishing. I'll stay up three, four, five. You know, it's bad when you're greeting the sun in the morning. You see? I can stay up a long time, but I've noticed no matter whether you're an early bird or a late night owl, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. is a difficult time to stay awake for the entire time. 
God's put something in us. I remember when I was just 13 years old, agreeing to work at a cutting horse farm over the summer. And over the summer, we would work the horses at night, about midnight or 8 p.m. to about 4 a.m. Boy, coming back home, driving, getting a big old chocolate milk, just comforting yourself. Dad got a little weavy sometimes going home. He said, that's a hard time. And Jesus says, in the last times, you don't know when he's going to come. And I believe what he's teaching is, it's going to be hard to stay awake. It's going to be hard to keep yourself pumped up and doing what you ought to be doing. But you need to wake up unless the sun would come back and find you sleeping. I remember Peter was given an opportunity, Peter and James and John, to go with our Lord a little further than the rest of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there he looked at them and says, Watch and pray with me. And the Lord, the Bible tells us, He went a little further and He began to pray. And we know He, he prayed a very fervent prayer. Uh, you all know the story. But what did Peter, James, and John do? Do y'all remember that? Do y'all remember? Yeah, they fell asleep. Jesus comes back. Obviously, the toils and tolls of the ministry had tired them out. You really can't blame the guys, frankly. You go there, Jesus approaches them and He says, What? Could you not watch with me and pray with me one hour? And He says these words, The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, in a victorious Christian life, There comes a point when spiritual priorities must take preference uh, preference over physical comforts. One day, I don't know where you're at on your Christian life, but one day you're going to have to make the transition from where it's always satisfying flesh, and that's not always in the worst of ways. Satisfying flesh... And saying, you know what? It's about time I get up and read my Bible before I go to work. Yeah. Yeah, how long have I been doing this Christian thing and I've never read through my Bible one time? It's, there comes a time when you need to allow spiritual priorities to take the place of fleshly comforts. Yeah. And that's the lesson that Jesus is teaching Guys, it's going to get difficult in the last days to just kind of fade away and and not do what you're supposed to be doing. But I'm telling you, you don't want to be asleep when I come back. And he tells us to wake up. Christian, is there any way that you might find yourself doing less now for Jesus than you used to do? Is there any way that you remember a time in your life where you were more passionate about your ministry? more passionate about witnessing, more passionate about telling others about what Jesus has done for you. Has there ever been that time? Because if there has been that time, you know what Jesus says to you tonight? Wake up. Wake up. You know what Paul says in the book of Romans? He says, in that knowing the time, that now it is time, high time to awake out of sleep. Well, what do you mean, Paul? For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. He says, every day we live, the Lord's return gets closer. Paul believed it happened in his day, and he didn't come. But you notice this, Paul did not regret what he did for Jesus. You see, Paul was wrong in his prediction that Jesus was going to come back. 
But you don't see Paul at the end of his life, man, I could have gone golfing more. Man, I, I probably could have, I don't know, enjoyed life. You know what he says? I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've done everything I know to do. I did everything I can do. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me. He had no regrets and he encouraged Timothy to fight the good fight of faith because he had no regrets at all. You know what Paul did? He stayed awake. Christian, maybe you tonight need to follow the first command and that is, wake up. The second command is this. I want you to notice in verse number 34, it's time to work. It's time to work. How many of you like going to work? Exactly. I can honestly say I enjoy coming to work. My dad has always said this, the day this job becomes a job, you need to get rid of it. This job that I have needs to be a ministry. I'm so excited. I literally stayed in prayer this afternoon thanking the Lord for the opportunity and the privilege I have to help you people and pray for you people and thank the Lord that He gives me the opportunity to preach the Word of God. You see, when you have Jesus, when you're looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith, coming to work ain't really all that bad. And when you go to work in your day-to-day job, whether you're a contractor, whether you're a secretary, whether you work on the railroad, whether you live under a cardboard box under the bridge, whatever it is, when you, when you do that so that you may serve Jesus with every other part of your life, it's not a problem either. We've got to go to work. He says in verse 34, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house, notice this, and gave authority to his servants. And to every man his work. And to every man his work. You know what that says to me? That every man has a portion of the work to have on their self. Every man shares a responsibility in the load to be lifted. Oh, you can't just flake out and say, oh, that's preacher's job. No, the Bible tells us here when Jesus left... He talked to his servants and he said, every man has some work to do. And now this may not be biblically accurate, but I want you to imagine checkerboard vineyard, okay? Everybody has their own little square. And man, we're all called to work in our little square because it's the Lord's vineyard anyway. Oh, surely there's some people doing a good job in their little square. Here's a question. What's your square look like? Is somebody else working in your square? Or are you maintaining your portion of the vineyard? You know what I've noticed? When you're lifting heavy loads, get JT to help. Amen. <laughs> Amen. No, no, no. What I mean is, when you're lifting heavy loads, if you don't do your part, somebody else has to bear the weight. Amen. The reason JT's so good at helping people lift heavy loads is because he bears a lot of the load. And then you just make a face like you're doing it. And he thinks you are. And man, that's the heaviest piano ever. Yeah, man, I broke a sweat watching you do it. No, when you don't lift your load, when you don't share in your part of the work, you know what happens? It doesn't go undone because that doesn't bring glory to God. You know what happens? 
Somebody else has to fill that hole. And we've got a lot of Christians who get burnt out. You know why? Because they're having to do too much. I can recall Christians in this church, even some that are still here, who I remember looking up to and saying, man, they're always there. They're doing a good job. And now, looking down the road a few years back, I don't really blame them for not doing it anymore because they did so much when they were burning up for Jesus, nobody was there to help them. And now they go home, there's just nobody at the church that'll help. Look, that doesn't happen if we all bear the load together. Every man his work. The Bible tells us in verse 34, He gave us His authority. The Bible says in Matthew 28, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now go ye therefore. You know what he's doing there? He's delegating his authority. And he says here in the vineyard, you go work and I will give you the authority to work. Here in his vineyard. Not only did he give us his authority, he gave us his assignment. Last week, one of the missionaries spoke to the Youth department, I was so thankful because he gave us this quote and it spoke volumes to me. It said it was one of the main influences in his life as to why he surrendered to the mission field. But David Livingston said, If a commandment by an earthly king is considered an honor, how could a commandment given from a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? You see, not only did he give us his authority, he gave us an assignment. And it's not something burdensome on His children to perform the assignment given. It is our honor to serve God where we are. Oh, we ought to be thankful for... I always say it like this. I'm thankful I'm on this side of the door. I'm thankful I don't have to be the one depending on you to knock on my door on Saturday. If someone's depending on you to knock on their door, is it getting knocked on? We've all got to share in the work. First of all, he says, we need to wake up. The second command given is, we need to work. Thirdly, we need to watch. Verse number 33, I want you to see this. Take ye heed, watch, and pray. Verse number 34, uh, and commanded the porter to watch. Verse number 35, Watch ye therefore, verse number 37, And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Do you think he might be trying to emphasize one particular teaching in this passage? In just a few, a few short verses, he uses the term watch over and over and over again. What are we to be watching for? Well, one day, the master of the vineyard will come back. And we ought to be watching. We ought to be looking. Here's a question. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Because when I study the disciples immediately after the resurrection, or immediately after the crucifixion, okay, everybody with me? When I study them, you know what I see? It only took three days for them to lose hope. Jesus told them He was going to raise again. He he, he guaranteed it. And yet here we find the disciples, even after some come back, I've seen the Lord. No, you haven't. Thomas said it this way, I will have to thrust my hand into his side before I'll believe. 
Three days it took the disciples to lose all hope that Christ's guarantee would come to pass. I wonder if the church has not grown so complacent because we've lost hope. I mean, it only took three days for the disciples that walked with Him every day. Now, moving on down the road 2,000 years, you think some of our complacency is to blame for our hopelessness? The fact that we truly don't believe that Christ is coming again? Because if we believed it, and I'm not talking about the type of belief that just says, well, it's in the Bible, so I've got to believe it. I'm talking about a Christian that says, I believe it when He said He's coming back. If that, was our belief, I wonder if it would dictate our actions a little bit differently. I wonder if it would, if it would constrain us to be everything that we could for Jesus. I wonder if the priorities in which we so elevate in our life would become a little less important to us, knowing that He is coming back again. Look to the tree. It's in full bloom. Look to the tree. Man, the signs of the time are everywhere. You know what we need to do, Christians? We need to be watching for our Savior. How should we watch for Him? Number one, we should be expecting Him. We should be expecting Him. Man, I hear Christians talk about all the time, well, I don't know if I'm going to vote for Him next time. I don't think there's going to be a vote. Next time we have an election, I think we're going to be sitting uh, where there are no votes taken. Where the democratic process is not really the right one to have. Look, if we believed it, I wonder if we would plan things out so much. We've got our five-year plan, our ten-year plan, our twenty-year plan, and our retirement plan. That's all good. I think it's wise to do. But never let those plans supersede the fact that Jesus can return at any moment. And we ought to be waking up every morning, Jesus, come back. Redeem your church. Redeem your children. We ought to be watching, expecting Him to return. Secondly, I think we should be a little excited about it. Man, we should be excited that He's coming back. I'm so glad. I'm going to be so happy. The day my Lord proves himself right. Because there's a whole lot of people in this world that think he's wrong. Oh, he died a long time ago. There's no proof of the resurrection. Oh, he'd probably already come back. Oh, this is my favorite. If God is so good, how could he allow this to happen? Because He loves us. And His mercy and His grace is so long-suffering. Did you know it was never God's will for us to mess up in the first place? If God is so good, how could He allow this to happen? If God wasn't merciful and compassionate, He'd have just struck Adam and Eve dead right there and you wouldn't be in a glimmer in your mother, great-grandmother's eye. Look, what I'm saying is, I'm so excited for the day When Jesus comes again, and the only problem with it is, I'm going to have to wait seven years to say, I told you so. You get it? Because they're going to be walking around, well, where did Brother Andrew go? And I'm going to be in heaven. They can't hear you, Brother Andrew. It makes me feel better, Jesus. Just let me do it. I'm, I'm messing around a little bit, but do you understand what I'm saying? 
Are you excited about the day when, as the hymn writer put it, our faith will become sight? And everything that I've been taught since I was just a little child and everything that I believed as a grown man, not my father's faith, but my own faith, when I'm so excited for the day when King Jesus will come back and take his church and his children away, I'm so glad for that day because it'll mean he was right. And I'm excited for it. We ought to be expecting him. We ought to be excited for it. But there ought to be a level of exertion while we're here. What I mean by that is, there's a group of people who were looking and watching for Jesus, and they got chewed out in the Bible. You may not know what I mean, but the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, that there's a group of people that watch Jesus ascend up into heaven. And some angels come from heaven. And they say these words, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Oh, well, we're watching. No, 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 no. The angels use a very specific word. You're gazing. This is the picture that the Bible paints watching as. Work and watch. Work and watch. And watch. But here's what most Christians do. Oh, Jesus, I sure can't wait for you to come back. Oh, Lord, I don't want another election. Oh, Lord, I don't want to watch CNN anymore. Oh, Lord. I... You know what we're doing? We're gazing. Gazers don't go. Watchers get to work. I wonder if this is the way that you're living your Christian life. Work, watch. Work, watch. The Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Work and watch. Work and watch. Are you over here? Oh, Jesus, come on back. You know what happens with gazers? They get nothing done. Are you gazing or are you watching? Because there's a big difference. One year, I, as I mentioned earlier, I worked at a cutting horse farm. My boss called me up one day. It was time to haul hay. And if you've ever had the privilege to haul hay, you know this. The Lord is good and His mercy endureth forever and ever unto all generations. Okay? It's the most miserable time of any human being's life. For some reason, you haul hay in the hottest part of the year. Maybe that's why Jesus said, look to the tree. You know, summer's coming. Look to the fields. When the hay bales are out there, you know, summer's coming. I'm not entirely sure. But it seems as if we would work the horses at night for their safety and protection and send the little red-headed kid out in 125 degrees on the back of a John Deere tractor to haul hay. (laughs) Makes sense. I remember getting a call from my employer. He said, hey, Andrew, you have any friends that might be able to come help you haul hay? I said, well, I've got friends, but I consider myself a friend, so I would not volunteer them for this work at all. (laughs) No, I looked and I I said, yeah, I have a couple guys that I think I could call. They make a little extra money on the side. So I called Eric and I called Jeremy. 
Now, I know you're not supposed to use names when you're preaching, but that's all right. Most of you don't know them, and the few of you that do, it'll only increase the story's understanding. Amen, Brother John? I called Eric and I called Jeremy. They were two of my good friends. Eric and Jeremy were brothers. Jeremy, the older. Eric was my age, a couple years younger. So we uh, go through the orientation process, and, and you know we get on the back of the tractor. I think we hauled about 14,000 bells of hay. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, basically it was two weeks of, of constant hauling hay. And it seems like they would make a better process than loading the hay on a trailer, driving the hay to the hay barn, unloading the hay off the trailer, then driving back to the field to repeat the process. And I know my dad's sitting here thinking, yeah, well, we used to have to put it in the loft. I pity you, brother. I feel you. That's terrible. Well, I call Eric. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. I call Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's go make some money. All right. I'll never forget the first day. About two hours into it, they realized what, what terrible mistake they had made. <laughs> but throughout the day, you see, my boss, he trusted me to get work done. And he just left us in a field to do our thing. My boss owned a golf cart. About every hour or so, he'd drive down on the golf cart just to check us out. Make sure we were working, make sure we were doing what we are supposed to do. And to bring us, thank the Lord, water. Should have been sweet tea for the amount of work we were doing, but water was okay. Anyway, he comes down about every hour. What I, I noticed, though... Eric was working side by side with me. He was doing everything he could do. Um, He was working hard. But Jeremy would take incredibly long breaks. I mean, it's hot, so to some degree I understand it. But these breaks, they were pretty excessive. And, And Eric would take breaks too. I mean, we all had to. The difference was Jeremy would only take his breaks when the boss wasn't there. And, and Eric was, was working harder than Jeremy, but Eric would take a break when he felt tired. And a lot of the times it just so happened that that break came when, when our boss was there. I'll never forget one particular break that Eric was taking while our boss was there. Eric was a really athletic guy. And on top of this cotton hauling trailer, oh, it's probably four and a half foot off the ground. Eric's over there. Oh, I'm so tired. I... And then Eric had forgotten something on the trailer, so Eric just kind of one-hops it on top of the trailer, like, there's my phone. And uh, he just hop, one-hops it onto the trailer and clears it, no problem, hops right up there, gets whatever he forgot, hops off off the trailer, and, oh, man, I'm so tired. <laughs> to me, none of this stuck out other than the fact that Jeremy wasn't really helping that much. But Jeremy was always working when the boss was around. Then that night, I got a call from my boss after we had uh, gotten done hauling hay. And he said, hey, Andrew, you know the tall one? Yeah, yeah, Jeremy. He said, I want you to bring him back. But the short one, Eric, I want you to leave him at the house tomorrow. Now, I've got to fire my best friend. That's terrible. You know what Jeremy had done? He'd figured out the process. Right? It was not his ability to work. It was his ability to con. He did less work and got more glory. Well, I don't know if hauling hay some more days is really glory, but you understand what I'm saying. Man, 
I think a lot of Christians have put themselves in this place that, well, I'll start working right when I know Jesus is about to come back. The Bible says there's only one thing in the world that the Son of God does not know. He is completely omniscient in every area of life, except this, He does not know the day when He will return. So, how exactly are you going to time your labor? Well, you don't know. What's going to happen? He's going to come back and find a bunch of us sleeping. And he's going to find a lot of us not working. We need to wake up. We cannot calm the Lord. We need to be working and watching. Working and watching. I'll ask you one question. Christian, do you believe Jesus is coming back any day? If you do, it ought to affect your work. You cannot, you cannot say, I believe Jesus is coming back and be mediocre at Christianity. More than being a mediocre Christian, you cannot be a mediocre servant because it is that service by which we are judged upon. Christian, do you believe He's coming back? I think that if we look to the fig tree... We'll learn a great lesson, and is this. We need to wake, we need to work, and we need to watch for the return of our Lord. 